we're talking on the topic of heaven, and this is a little bit out, just out of my comfort zone a little bit, because our normal approach to, to preaching is we take sections of the Bible, normally books of the Bible, and work through them and have single texts that we, we deal with. And of course, that takes us to other texts. When we, when we talk about a topic like heaven, there are many different texts all over the place. And so it, it makes it a little bit of a challenge, but it's an exciting, exciting challenge that we have. And we've looked at a number of different aspects of heaven. And last week specifically, we looked, about, we looked at three overarching things that we're going to do when we're in heaven. The, the work that we'll do, uh, the, the, the rest that we'll be able to have, and the enjoyment of the Lord that will come because, because of that. Today we're going to actually look at, at um, some of the characteristics of, of heaven. And our, our Bibles are full of awesome, awesome promises. And one of, one of the neatest promises is found in 1 Corinthians 2.9. And that says this, No eye has seen and no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those that love him. Scripture does point to a number of things that we can, we can know about heaven, but there's still not a lot of detail in some senses. But one detail that we absolutely know for sure is that, that heaven is going to be a place that will fulfill our greatest needs and our greatest longings that we've ever had. It's going to amaze us. Its beauty is going to destroy the, 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 the problems that we face in this current life. And the great thing about it is that God is actively, right this moment, preparing our place for us in eternity. John 14 tells us that. When uh, my kids were little, uh, my mom would spend weeks and weeks of her summer preparing for what had become my kids' favorite week of the summer, maybe even favorite week of the year. It was called Mammy Camp. And, and she would put on a, a camp for the grandkids. And so with this, she would prepare their favorite foods and she would line out their favorite activities and pull out their favorite movies and they would have a, a theme from the Bible and memory verses and she would let them cook in her kitchen. And I mean, all of these fun different things that she would plan and prepare and, and it was like the highlight of the kids entire year. And truth be told, it was also a huge highlight for us parents because we got rid of the kids for a week and we had our own little camp. So it was, it was great. But, but um, now you ask the question, why would, why would grandma, why would mammy do this? And it's, it's obvious because it's just one way. It's just one way for her to show her grandkids just how much, how much she, she loves them. And so she would do that. And when we look to scripture, there's a, there's a number of things. In Matthew 7, when Jesus is talking, he's actually talking about prayer, but he says this and it ties in. He says, if you then, though you are evil, he's talking to people like us. He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children or to your grandchildren, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
And, and then he goes on in John, in John chapter 14, where he is talking specifically about heaven. Jesus says, I am going there to heaven uh, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. As we've talked each week on this series of heaven, intentionally, we've brought up some of the misconceptions. And it's unfortunate because heaven gets a lot of, a lot of misconception, misinformation. It gets a lot of bad press. People get the wrong idea. Some people see heaven as just sitting on clouds, wearing a white robe, watching little angels float around with harps and, and those kinds of things and, and halos. Um, others see heaven and think of heaven as just being an unending church service. Uh, others think it is going to be some kind of uh, retirement in the sky, celestial retirement home, um, that it's going to be kind of ghostly and unreal. And, and when, when so many people think of heaven that way, and hopefully now that we're into this a few weeks, we're obliterating that idea that that's, you know, not that there won't be worship and not that there won't be aspects of some of, of a, a, maybe a church service, but so far, so greater, so much more than what we're able to even experience here. But it's no wonder why so many people see heaven as a place that is kind of dull and, and, and numbing. And, and that's just so, so sad. And so, so anyway, we want to look today specifically at some of the characteristics of heaven. And hopefully in this, we will continue to, um, to, to break some of those misconceptions of what heaven is like. And, and the first one is another one that we have repeated a number of times is that heaven, heaven will be real. Now, I'm using this term heaven will be, and I'm doing that on purpose because we look at scripture and we know that most of the time when people talk about heaven, when someone in our life passes away and we say that, the, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, when we talk about that as heaven, that's actually not the heaven, the capital H heaven, the eternal heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, all these different synonyms for our eternal home. When we talk about our, our, someone we love that's passed on and they've gone on to be with the Lord, we're actually talking about what's called the intermediate state or the present heaven or the intermediate heaven. That is a temporary place. It's a temporary heaven where things are going to be far greater than they obviously are here, but this is when our body dies and our spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord in this present heaven. Last week, we switched over and we're talking about the eternal heaven and today, again, we're talking about the eternal heaven. This is the heaven that we'll spend forever and ever and ever in. And it will be real. It's not going to be some like ghost-like, misty, foggy experience where we just float around like these pictures show. Where we're just gonna, They're cute, I will admit that. They're cute little pictures. But it's not going to be like we're just floating around in the clouds um, like that with, with wings and such. And the reason why, why would God take trouble to create the new earth. In, in Revelations 21, in Isaiah 65, it says that God is creating a new heavens and a new earth for us. Why would he go about the trouble of creating a new earth if no one was going to live on it, if no one was going to dwell in it? Why would we be given new bodies if we were to live, unless we were going to live in a, in a material or a tangible world? Why would we? Scripture over and over teaches that we were originally created. We were originally created as physical beings to, to live 
on a physical earth. That's what Adam and Eve did. They weren't placed on a cloud. They were placed on, a, a, on, on earth, on, on the real earth. So heaven, as we know, the eternal heaven, what it's going to be is going to be Eden, restored, renewed, in essence, remade. Now, we have lived outside of Eden from the moment that Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden when they sinned. When they chose, they chose their way rather than choosing God's way. And really, from that moment all the way until now, all of the things that people are striving for, what they're truly striving for, what they're truly looking for is a restored Eden. That's the existence they want. And then beyond that, what they really want is the, the relationship where they walk and they talk with a loving and living God. So that's what we're looking for. And, and, and this new heaven and this new earth, this new Jerusalem isn't just floating around in space. It's actually going to come down. The new Jerusalem will rest on the real earth, the physical earth. Um, the book of Romans speaks concerning this. It says this, for all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will appear and join God's children in glorious freedom from death and from decay. Do you get this? This is not going to be some spiritual, non-tangible place. It is going to be a real, physical place. Creation is going to be beautiful. Heaven will be real. It's going to be meaningful. It's a physical place. And it is going to be what the fulfillment is of the Lord's Prayer. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Dr. Bob and the Expositor's Bible class, the adult Sunday school class that meets at 9 o'clock, they're going, they went through 1 Peter, now they're going through 2 Peter. They're not to this passage yet, but in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. But... But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of the righteous. The earth in which we live on now, this earth is going to, to pass away. This earth is going to be redone and remade. Some people say it's going to be completely remade, remade from the ground up. But, but when, when you think about it, you think, how could God restore and redeem all of this earth well, let's just look at the natural order of things. My, my dad and brother and I, we went on a motorcycle ride up to, uh, to Windy Ridge a few weeks ago. And it was amazing to sit there and look at the Windy Ridge where back in uh, 1980 or something, not, not very long ago, uh, the, the Mount St. Helens blew. And it had massive, massive, massive destruction and what it did. And there's all these signs. And when that happened afterwards, all the, the experts thought it's going to be hundreds of years before that area was going to be restored, before animals were going to come back to that area, before, before trees would begin to grow in that area. And it wasn't a few years until things began to grow again and the, the, the animals and the elk moved back into that area. 
Um, so if that can happen in, in the natural course of things, it didn't take hundreds or thousands or millions of years to be restored. It happened in context almost immediately. This earth being restored by the hand of God who created the heavens of the earth in just a short period of time shouldn't be hard for us to imagine that he would do this. But the new heaven, the new earth, it's going to be a real place. And to me, that's exciting. That's exciting. Um, speaking of motorcycles, I, I, last week I, I talked um, about those three things that we'll do in heaven. And one of those things is that we will rest in the Lord. And I was challenging all of us to take seriously the fourth commandment, which is to... Uh, to Keep the Sabbath day, keep it holy, have a day of rest. And I got a number of emails about that and, and um, saying from people saying how hard that is for them to do. And, and I was at the place where like, you know what, I'm kind of feeling, we've been interviewing lots of people. This is, I'm kind of tired. I just want to, I just want to go. And so jump on the bike and head to the coast and took my favorite route between Vader and Raymond. And um, as I was, as I was heading out there, um, I was, I was enjoying the time, but then I was captured by, oh, by this background picture that you're seeing here. Here, and I pulled. I had to pull over because as I pulled over, it was just this endless, seemed to be endless thing of wildflowers, and and it was just amazing. It was just beautiful. It was a moment of worship, just to thank God for the creation that we live in. And and of course, I'm thinking about this in our series here, and I think, man, if if this world is so beautiful as it is, and yet it's still in its fallen state. It's in its broken state. It's not in the state in which it was truly designed to be in. Then what must heaven that's coming, that God is preparing for us, the new heaven and the new earth that he's going to restore and create, if it's, if it's this beautiful now, what's it going to be like then? Oh, it's awesome. It's exciting, and it's not going to just be a figment of our imagination. It's not going to be just like watching a slideshow. It's going to be real and more real than anything else we've ever experienced. So moving on, uh, another characteristic of heaven. Heaven will be right. Heaven will be right. So the church word for this is it'll be a place of righteousness. That can be broken down simply by it is going to be rightness. It's going to be rightness. It's going to be righteous. It's going to be right. Look at what the Apostle Peter said when he said this. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness, rightness dwells. This is cool. This is exciting because you think about it, all the wrongs of the world will be made right. It will be a place where everything evil is absent and everything good is, is present. Everything sad, gone. Everything joy-filled will exist. Everything that's disappointing is going to disappear and everything that is exciting will appear. Everything depressing, gone. Everything hopeful will come. Everything violent, hateful, gone. Everything born of love will win, will be present. Every unfaithfulness will be in the past and everything desirable will remain in the present with us. Every sickness, gone. 
complete wholeness is going to take over our lives. Every struggle and every frustration is going to be over. Every success will be at our fingertips. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed. Every wrong done to you, every wrong done to you, and we're all sitting here and wrong has been done to all of us. Some much worse than others, but it's all real to each of us. And every one of those wrongs is going to be made right in every injustice, and we live in a world where there's not a lot of justice. Every injustice is going to be met with justice. Sorrow is going to be reversed, and and joy is going to wash over us. Now, forgive me for doing this. I might get in trouble from these two ladies, but I have to share. Here's Susan Courtney and Donna Verhoff. I'm going to get in trouble for this. I just, I can tell. So anyway, at National Night Out this last week, which was just a fun time to be with our community, I was talking with, with uh, Susan and Donna, and they were sharing, um, they were sharing how they just got back that, earlier that week or the week before from taking a jet boat tour. And, and they're sharing this picture of this, this idea of this jet boat tour, and the, the, the joy and, and the laughter as they're sharing it was, was fun to watch them. Now, what is interesting about this, they were saying as they're zipping down the river, this mean jet boat operator, he actually was nice, but he's going down and he turns the boat at like a 90 degree turn and this big wall of water just kind of cascades down and drenches the whole boat and just gets them all. And, and they're, of course, sharing this story and, and laughing about it and them sharing the story and laughing. It brought joy to my heart. But that is the picture of what joy is going to be like in heaven. It's going to be this, this cascade of, of joy and goodness that will encapsulate us and, and completely uh, surround us and fill us and, and bring, bring about a true joy, a true joy. It will, be, it will be awesome. It will be awesome. Look at what Isaiah 65 says. We're going to spend a lot of time in Isaiah 65 over the next few weeks. But Isaiah 65, it says this, They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion and the lamb will eat straw like an ox. The, the, corrupted, the corrupt and fallen world that we live in, it's going to be gone. And, and God will restore the world to the way that it was meant to be in the beginning, unspoiled by my sin and your sin and humanity's sin. It's going to be unspoiled by that. Everything else is going to disappear and everything good and true will reappear. Thirdly, heaven's characteristics, one of the most controversial, I think, of these five is heaven will be relational. Heaven will be relational. There is a a song, I'm not promoting the theology of the song, of course, but I do have a point. Uh, In 1991, Eric Clapton lost his five-year-old son after he fell out of a 49th 49th floor Manhattan apartment. And um, Eric Clapton's a songwriter, and so he wrote the song, Tears in Heaven. And in the song, he asks this question, and he asks the question, would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? Would it be the same if I saw you in heaven? 
This is a question that gets asked a lot and that people would like an answer to. What will relationships be like in heaven? We're going to actually, in this series, do an entire um, question, kind of a, um, a Q&A segment where we're going to take all of the big questions and we'll, we'll address a, a other facets of what relationships will be like. Um, but the reality, is that, the reality is that we will meet again those who we have lost, those who are in Christ, those who have lived for Christ, if you belong to Christ and the other person belonged to Christ, their relationships will not be lost. Those relationships will be regained and renewed. Unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, the Christian community, both present and past, theologians both present and past, um, have said that we won't know each other in heaven, or if we know, we really won't care about other people. And they've got two main reasons why they say this. Um, the first one is this verse here, Isaiah 65, 17. It says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Now, this is important for every one of us that read our Bibles. Anybody that studies the Bible, you go to Bible college and you take a Bible study or a hermeneutics class, they will teach you the number one rule to Bible interpretation is context. It's context. What is surrounding that verse? What is surrounding that passage? What's surrounding that chapter? Now, the context of this verse, which talking about the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, it's talking about the, the sins of Israel, both the sins that they've committed as well as the sins that have been committed against them, as well as some of the battles in which they have participated in or are currently in. So when this prophecy comes forth through Isaiah, these former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, it's not saying that all things are going to be forgotten when we're in the new heaven and the new earth. He's saying all of those things that were unjust, all of those things that were hurtful, all of those things. He's not saying that we won't remember anything. That verse doesn't say that. Think about it like this. In Hebrews 8.12, it says, I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. That verse in itself is cause for worship and celebration uh, right there. But God chooses, because of the work of Christ, he chooses not to remember our sins no more. When he looks at me, Bill, um, yeah, I'm an okay guy, but I'm a sinful guy. When he looks at me, he sees, he sees the person of Christ Jesus. I've trusted my life to Christ. I'm not trying to work my way to heaven. I trust Christ because his blood has been shed on the cross. I trust him. So when God looks at me, he sees Christ's atonement covering, um, taking away of my sins. That's what, that's what he sees, and that's... That's joyous, that's exciting. But God, when he forgets my sins, he doesn't forget me. I sure hope he doesn't. He doesn't. He's in my life. He doesn't forget me. And it's the same for, it's the same for you. When he, he chooses, when you trust Christ as your Savior, he chooses not to see your sins, to remember your sins no more because he's looking at Christ. He's not looking at you per se, but he knows us and he remembers us. And so the same is true here. Will we be relational in heaven? If you didn't listen, weren't here or didn't listen to last week's sermon, you can see um, one of those is we are going to reign and rule with Christ. 
in, in the new heaven and the new earth. We're going, to have, we're going to have service to do. We're going to have good work and God-type work to do. We also know that the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem is going to come down to this earth. And that new Jerusalem, that's a, it's a whole nother, we're going to do a whole sermon on the new Jerusalem. But that new Jerusalem is a place, it's a city. And as it's described, we know what cities are like, don't we? We know that in cities, there's people. In cities, there's, there's interactions. In cities, there's commerce. In cities, there's work. There's sport. There's entertainment. There's all of these other things. We don't, it's not a stretch to think that in heaven, there won't be these interactions with, with other people. And, and so... Uh, when it comes to that, yeah, that's one reason people say there's no relationships in heaven because of that last passage, but I just don't think it, it holds any, any water. And, and the second reason is that. The second reason is because we, we oh, the other reason why, that's what it is. The, other, the second reason why people say we'll be solely focused on God, that our, our attention will only be on him and him alone. And I actually love that thought. That is a great thought, the idea that when I'm in heaven, the only and sole focus I have is on the Lord. I mean, I, I can't wait for that day when I get to, to know him and see him as he is, look into his eyes. The only problem with that is that it's just not biblical. It's not a biblical concept because of what we've talked about already and what we're going to continue to talk about, that, that there are things that we're going to do. We're going to live in a real world doing real type things. Now, they're going to be so much different, I would think, because of that. And one of the reasons why they'll be so much different when we think of relationships specifically, when we experience relationships with other people in heaven, those relationships are going to be on a level that we have never known before. Most of us, our biggest angsts and frustrations in life are because of broken or hurt relationships on this earth. In heaven, we won't be stained by the curse of sin. And so when we look at people, we won't, we won't look at people um, and have impure intentions and motivations. We will look at people as they are and we will care for them as God sees them. We won't be messed up. We won't, you know how this is? Do you ever talk to people and you feel like they're just kind of sizing you up? They're like trying to grade you like an egg or, you know, they're trying to figure out if you're worthy to, to be, you know, in their sphere of influence. None of that, none of that stuff is going to be present in heaven. Our relationships are going to be pure and real and we'll get to know and we'll get to learn. And, and those of you who, who are married, you kind of know this. We're 21 years of marriage and I sometimes look at my wife I'm like do I even know you it's like wow there's just it's there's there's if, when I get myself out of the way it's like there's this there's this depth that is there and and, and it's joyful to to kind of peel away those layers and, and kind of get to know a person's heart well heaven relationships are like that where we won't have to be mixed up by our own impure motivations and agendas for other people's lives and vice versa Vice versa, we'll actually be heard even if our words don't, well, our words should be perfect because we'll be glorified bodies. But all that being said, now, more importantly than our human relationships or certainly, yeah, is our relationship with God and what we're our relationship with God, that relationship is gonna be healed as well. That relationship is gonna be healed as well. No more will our love for God be compromised by our selfishness, compromised by 
uh, an enchantment with the things of this world. Our, our love for God, our relationship with him will be completely pure and unspoiled. There will be nothing between us, zero separation. Our sinful nature completely gone and we are no longer going to struggle with sin and temptation and those things. Our relationship with God is going to be intimate. Like that first song, what a great song that the worship team sung. Like that, our relationship is gonna be so intimate that the book of Revelation describes it as a bride coming to her, to her husband full of love and passion with arms wide open. Our relationships in heaven are going to be restored and beautiful and not tainted by the curse. Fourthly, heaven's characteristics. Heaven's going to be rewarding. It's going to be rewarding. In Revelation, John, he does his best to describe what heaven is. Uh, He's limited by language. He's limited by experience. He's never seen anything like this before, and he finds it impossible to fully depict what he's witnessing in in his vision. But he talks about walls. He talks about walls that are made out of translucent gold, built on foundations with, with precious jewels, gates made of a single pearl, streets made of gold. The, the, the riches of heaven is so great that they use gold as their, their paving stones. Jewels are used for foundation stones. Um, amazing. And it's so rich in heaven, so rich and real in heaven that the things on this earth that we see as having the greatest value are just simple things and simple commodities that we get to share. Now, unknown to me, in my limited understanding, there are some on this earth that have it much worse than the average person. They just, they have it tough. And maybe you're one of these people. Your, your health is bad, your finances are worse, your children seem to make all of the wrong choices, your relationships are unfulfilling, and you wanna kinda identify and say with the psalmist, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in, in, in innocence. Life can seem so unfair, we can say, where is the justice? But to you, if you're in here and this is you, or you're in a season like this right now where you really feel like this psalmist and you wanna just say, I can't seem to do anything right. I, I do everything right and nothing goes, nothing goes my way. What you need to know is that justice is not far away. It's really not far away. But you also need to know that true justice isn't gonna happen here, it's gonna happen in another place. Justice rarely happens in this world, um, but this world's not heaven, and we have to be careful not to expect it to to be. Uh, The accounts are settled, and our rewards are given in another place and another time. Um, So C.S. Lewis, we're going to talk about the Chronicles of Narnia here in just a moment, but he talked about about this idea of of gratification and delayed gratification in his book, The Problem of Pain. And he, and he said this, he said, our, our father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, some pleasant stops, um, but he will not encourage us to mistake them for home or for our home. And how true that is, we have to be so careful that we, we don't try to make this place, our eternal home, that the things in this life are, are truly, truly temporary. Truly temporary. Revelations 12, 22, 12 says, and behold, everything 
And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to their work, according to his work. Every sacrifice in this life that is made, that you make, every time you step out of your comfort zone to love someone unconditionally with the love of God, to, 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 to give them of your resources, to, to share the love of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When these things happen and take place and it seems like you're, you're shut off or shut down or when you try to do well and all you do is, is run into brick walls, all of these rejections are going, to be, are going to be eliminated and overcome by the explosion of love that is found in the person of Christ and through the place in which he's preparing for us preparing for us and we have to be mindful 2 Corinthians 5:10 it tells us this i don't have this up there but listen listen up we must all appear this is talking to christian people we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or whether bad. And we talked in week one about the different judgments that we face. And the first one is the judgment of faith. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then when you die, you're going to heaven. But, but after the millennial kingdom, after the battle of Armageddon, there is going to be what is called the judgment seat of Christ. And that's where your deeds in this flesh, in this life, are going to be, as one of my dear friends says, flashed up on a big screen for all to see. I don't know if it'll be like that. But, but where your deeds in the flesh are going to be shown, whether good or bad. And you and I will be rewarded based upon those deeds. Those rewards will go with us in heaven. Again, that's going to be one of those things we talk about a little bit further in our series, what some of those rewards will look like and what's the basis for that. But we'll talk about that. But there is, heaven is a place of, of rewards. And then finally, lastly here, most importantly and most exciting of all of these things is that, that heaven is going to be a resident, will be the residence of God. This is the residence of God. The greatest reward of heaven is going to be God himself, no doubt. We've already talked a little about the relationship, but nothing we see or experience will be greater than the fact that we will be with God and we will see him face to face. Remember John, it says, this is eternal life, that we will know him and see him face to face. Unfortunately, in this life, Fortunately, in this life, it's, it's tough to see that clearly, which is why we do a series on heaven, why we talk about these things, which is why we have God's word to read. Um, because in this life, it says this, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, for now, for now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, oh, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully, fully known this is awesome that as much as we try to imagine or think today when we're in the presence of God we'll be perfectly known by him perfectly loved or we will perfectly know him and know what we are and perfectly loved uh, John writes in the book of Revelation he says and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying now now the dwelling of God is with us and he will live with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Revelations 21.3. We will have no greater reward, we will have no greater relationship than being with our awesome father, seeing him face to face. 
I'm gonna try this, this might not work, but I think it's worth a try. You're, you're all gracious. So I would like to, to, to say together uh, this passage in 1 Peter, try to say it out loud and try to say it as one accord, but um, it's so perfect as far as what it's saying here in relationship to what we have to come. So I'll start it and you can just join in with me. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an eternal perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Thank you. In the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, C.S. Lewis's probably most famous fictional work, uh, towards the end of that, towards the end of that work, um, the last book, last chapter, further up and further in is what is titled, Aslan, the lion who represents Christ, has come to the characters um, to take them home, virtually to take them to heaven. They are headed away from Narnia and they're about to enter into Aslan's land. Um, but they're met with, uh, with similar scenes. And one of the characters says this. They say, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all of my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little bit like this one. And when we enter, I believe, the real heaven, the eternal heaven, we're going to say this. This is the land that I've been looking for all my life. Though I never knew it till now, the reason we love this old earth so much is that sometimes it looked a little bit, a little bit like this. It's going to be a real new heaven new earth, restored, redeemed, the place that we were meant to live originally. At the same time, we're going to say, like the psalmist says in Psalm 16, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and surely I have a delight in the inheritance. I have a delightful inheritance. As we close out today, I invite the worship team to come up, and as, as they come, I just want to ask the question, do you know if you're going to heaven? Do you know that? If you, if you can't answer that question, yes or no, let me just clearly show you how to do that. It's, it's found all over in scripture, but there's a couple really clear passages. This is Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe that God has raised him from, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Acts 16, 13 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's such a joy not to have to work our way to heaven to be good enough because we can't be good enough for God. Christ has done that work on our behalf. We're called to confess him as Lord and Savior and to believe in which God has raised him from the dead. If you haven't done that, do that today. And all of what we're talking about is yours. It's your inheritance. And that's great news. That's great news. And let me know because I'd love to baptize you as well. It'd be awesome. 
Lord, we thank you for this time that we have in, in your word talking about heaven. And um, it seems so, um, so small to use words to describe the indescribable. And, uh, and yet we still can, even though we see dimly, we still can, we can try and imagine. We can try to imagine how great it's going to be. And in the meantime, we thank you. We thank you that you haven't left us as orphans. You haven't left us alone. You showed us the way through the life of Christ and you've given us your spirit to empower us, um, especially in our times of weakness. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for anyone in here that does not know you, that they wouldn't leave here today without committing their life to you. We love you so much. We love you so much. And we do because you've already showed that love to us. You are our king of love. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.